Assalamu alaikum and welcome back to the Umarpreneur podcast. I'm so excited for today's episode because I have here with me a very special guest. And this is Sister Aisha Amiji. Hopefully I pronounced it correctly. Let me know if I didn't. <laughs> Who's going to talk to us today about how she built her nonprofit, The Voices of Muslim Women. And Aisha, can you tell us a little bit more about what it is that you do so that the guests can know a bit more about you? Absolutely. Well, walaikum assalam, and thank you for having me on Amorpreneur. I'm pretty excited to tell everyone about Voices of Muslim Women. Voices of Muslim Women is a BC-based nonprofit foundation. We actually just became a registered charity uh, last year, mashallah. Amazing. And uh, what we do is we serve women and girls. So we mm. we serve all women and girls by teaching them leadership skills and providing them opportunities to become leaders in a variety of different uh, avenues. Mm-hmm. So what inspired you to even build this nonprofit in the first place? I mean, building a nonprofit is a very, uh, I mean, I mean, it's, it's a very challenging endeavor to take on. So I'm, I'm curious what drove you to go down that path? You know what, mashallah, we are, this has been a, a seven year journey now. We're in our seventh year. And so seven years ago, I had uh, two young kids and now I have three, mashallah. Wow, mashallah. But it was about, I think, 25, 26 ish and i had just graduated from uh, simon fraser university doing a master's in social justice education i worked at a really great uh, university called Kwantlen polytechnic university and i was teaching these media literacy courses and i had done a lot of my master's work in um, the media representation or misrepresentation of muslims and islamophobia and what I was noticing, even though I set out to just, you know, teach general social justice, co- uh, social justice courses, focusing um, more on a beginner's uh, view and really getting kids in the community involved in university type learning. All of the Muslim students in my courses were sharing alarming rates of Islamophobic incidents. And mm. that's how I got involved, because I really didn't want to be involved in the Muslim community growing up. Um, I did and didn't because I had grown up in a family that was very involved in the community. So, you know, I saw the gr- the good side and the bad side. And I thought, you know, I, I just want to build my own career and focus on myself and my family. But then it just, you know, there was this overwhelming need to do something. And uh, it came to a point where where our university is located in BC, we had a very high uh, percentage of Pakistani, Somali, and uh, Syrian uh, students. Mm-hmm. And so all of them sharing these stories, and I'm thinking, I'm born and raised in BC, 9-11 happened when I was a kid. How are these kids experiencing like such um, high rates of uh, daily Islamophobic events and mm. what is this doing to their identity so because i had just studied internalized oppression and a whole bunch of terms um, in social justice about what happens to you when the media or the community or narrative at large says you're the bad guy i knew firsthand what was happening to these high school students so i decided to start a course and that was my solution that was um going to be my contribution to the muslim community And I wanted to be like, you know, this is it. I'm just going to, I have a degree in curriculum and instruction. I'll create the course. The university was so generous, great allies. They, they greenlighted the whole course. And I call that course Voices of Muslim Women. And it was a course just for Muslim women and girls to come and share their stories, learn a little bit about digital literacy 
and uh, about social justice and, you know, have a place, a safe space to kind of share what's going on in their lives and their views and share their voices. So that's how it started. It was just a course, not a nonprofit. And how that evolved into a nonprofit is we had a community showcase of all of their videos. So their uh, capstone project uh, was a video that they shared uh, their story and the community responded so strongly to it in, in BC. I mean, the Muslim community in BC is very different than in Montreal or in Toronto. Mm -hmm. We are very diverse, uh, but we're very um, segmented and we're just so few in numbers that we never have enough momentum to kind of do anything. So mm -hmm. the fact that um, over a hundred people showed up for this community showcase blew my mind. And for the first time we were in a gathering where a lot of Muslim uh, young women who were invested in professional careers came together and were like, wow, you're a lawyer and you're Muslim and you know, you're becoming a dentist, you're a Muslim woman, you're, you're becoming an entrepreneur, you're a Muslim woman. And then we kind of just thought, well, why aren't, why don't we know each other? There was no place to kind of know other women who are Muslim. A lot of the times we were like the only Muslim in our peer group. And a lot of our support circle was, non-Muslim or our friend circles were non-Muslim. And so really thinking about, well, there's there's an, a need here for us to gather outside of the masjid and halakas. So how can we just connect with each other um, without trying to, um, we have this, um, you know, policy, your faith is your business and none of ours. Like a, we call it a bikini to burkini um, <laughs> policy. And it's, really uh, a, one of the main deterrents from young Muslim women getting together was uh, the judgment, right? You know, you're, mm. you, if you're a hijab, you're a niqabi, you're, you're too, you might be too religious. If you're, if you don't wear a hijab, if you, if you don't dress, you know, quote unquote, modestly, like you're not a good enough Muslim. And so these things that kind of seem superficial became like, um, a very common underlying reason to why young Muslim women were not gathering together in the community. It's, they just didn't feel welcome. Um, everyone felt, you know, too haram, too halal, and you just couldn't find uh, a group of women that would accept you as you are, wherever you are in your faith journey and the level of faith, right? So um, that, that basically, we got enough women kind of talking about it to say, why don't we turn this course into a nonprofit? Mm -hmm. And so that's how the nonprofit started, is a group of uh, young professional Muslim women that wanted to be with other Muslim women, um, but were really afraid of, I, I think, the judgment. You know, they wanted it to be very inclusive and welcoming uh, wherever you were in your faith journey. Right. You know, it's it's really interesting you say that because I think that's not a, I don't think that's limited just to BC where you are. I think that's just that that's the. I think a lot of Muslims feel that way. I mean, I've felt that way before, and I know a lot of people that felt that way before, as well. At least physically, I feel it's easier online to connect with other Muslims because there's kind of like that barrier where you know it's just you communicate or you reveal what it is that you want to reveal. But when you're going in person. To community events and you know that then it's like oh you're really putting yourself out there and some people are just not comfortable with that as you mentioned because of the fear of judgment so let me ask you how were you able to foster a space that actually where people felt comfortable and safe to come despite that there might be that fear of judgment that's within them so i was uh, very um because i like my intention i think and 
I, this is like my biggest tip for anyone who wants to start anything, whether it's a, a for-profit business or a non-profit. Um, I went to an Islamic college when I was younger. Uh, it was like a Darulum in England. Mm -hmm. And one of the main, one of the first things I learned that always stuck with me is and that means that, um, you know, your intentions, everything depends on your intention. And so when I started the uh, course, my intention there was very specific because there was a moment where I was sitting with my daughter in a McDonald's and she was five and she, we were hearing all this negative stuff about Muslims. And at that moment, like, you know, I made, I looked at her face and combined with my students, what they were experiencing in that moment, I made an intention that, you know, the mama bear came out of me and like, subhanAllah, there's, when you make an intention that's backed by God's will, is just un it's a force that cannot be reckoned with right and so that was my intention there to create something so that my kids and other high school kids and other kids in the community don't suffer and when we got to the space where we were at that uh, community showcase uh there were you know specifically four young girls in the community one of them was my cousin and her friends my intention there was how can I make events that these girls want to come? You know, mm -hmm. girls that are 17 to 24. How can I genuinely create events where they are interested, that I'm not forcing them to come uh, to the events? And so I really listened to what they were experiencing. And so, again, my intention there was, how can I serve them? How can I create events that they would want to go to? And I remember one of the things that, they asked me and again like i it was a surprising underlying surprising but also not surprising is they kept asking like well should we wear a hijab or a abaya to the event and i was like no it's it's a conference at a university showcasing voices of muslim women like wear what you'd usually wear right so they're like but can we wear a skirt and i was like well if that's what you wear like yeah you can wear a skirt and so i realized vocalizing that it was okay for them to show up authentically how they were um, was a big factor in creating a space where they felt welcomed mm. and stating this over and over again that you don't have to be um, the perfect Muslim to be Muslim because none of us are perfect actually you know um, and uh, that takes a lot of pressure off of uh the Muslim um, aspect, I mean, a lot of us are perfectionists or we think that if we want to be a better Muslim, we can't show up as being Muslim because, you know, we're representing. Um, and so until you, you know, you've done all, you know, you've become the perfect Muslim that you think you need to be in your head to show up. Chances are you're not, you're never going to show up because it's a long journey before we, we get to that spiritual state. And uh, the other thing was really... Um, listening to youth so we've been through many different stages and so it just kind of naturally evolved um and so we like in the beginning we we didn't just uh, have events for uh women we had it for youth in general and so we had like open mic nights and looking at a lot of different ways how the muslim young muslims wanted what they wanted we had like um a number of different events from retreats to open mic nights like i said mm -hmm. And so just really fostering that listening, doing a lot of listening. Mm -hmm. And um, then also like hearing a lot of uh, negative things from uh, the older 
aunties and uncles of, you know, this is not the way we've done things. So um, that took a lot of strength to to be almost kind of like a, a buffer between two generations to say, we hear you, but this platform is not for you. This mm. platform was created, you know, when, when I think of it, I visualize these um, four young women and to create a space that they and people, young women like them would want to come. And like later on, I learned, you know, this is actually an actual thing called like creating business avatars. Mm. But then that was really just my intention is how can I make something that my younger cousins um, would even want to be involved with? Because the reality of our society is so far removed from what some of our elders think that, you know, they're, they're harping on um, a lot of little things where, as they don't realize that, well, for a lot of young Muslims born and raised in the West, you're the only Muslim in your peer group. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that are that uh, negative things that happen when you don't feel like you belong to your own community. And mm -hmm. so belonging is the first step. So creating an environment where young Muslims felt they were, they belonged as they were. I really, really love that, mashallah. And I have a question for you because, you know, once you made that decision to turn this, I imagine initially you didn't think like, okay, you didn't go from idea to thinking, okay, this is actually going to turn into a whole nonprofit. I'm going to work on this for multiple years. So I'm curious what that journey looked like. And I'm also curious, once you realized that you wanted to actually build this into a nonprofit and really make it turn into an organization, um, mm -hmm. What were some of the steps that you've taken to be able to go through that journey successfully? Because, you know, for someone listening to this, maybe that is interested in having their own nonprofit or building up an organization uh, to make a positive impact in their communities or the people around them. Um, they're probably wondering, well, what is the first step I should take? What does that journey look like? So I'm curious, what did it look like for you and what were some of the steps that you've had to take? So I guess the first step was uh, having a really important conversation with my husband. Um, and so, you know, whatever your social or family situation is, you are going to need a lot of support. And, you know, they always, uh, a lot of people have this quote uh, that they say, like, behind every great man is a great woman, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and so vice versa, to help me build this with two young kids, and now three, it's taken a lot of support from my husband, from my for my mom, my sister, you know, there's a whole community that lifts me up and my kids. Uh, and so that was like a very important uh, conversation and realization to have. Like, mashallah, he's, you know, husband of the year all the time. And he was he was behind this because we both grew up in this community and we knew this was something our community needed. So having that conversation and reality check that it's going to take a lot out of you you need to have the support of first yourself, then your circle. So in my case, it was my husband and my kids um, and my extended family. And actually before all that is uh, you need to feel like this is something that was meant for you. A lot of times what carried me through this was I felt like God gave this as a mission to me, like as a, a project that only I could do. It just so happened that every time I looked at it, I was like, you know, who'd be perfect to do this? me i'm like you know I'm raised here i've been working in the community and women's like non-profit circle for over 15 years uh i have a master's in this exact topic i have connections in the community 
the person who could do this is me. And so it took a long time for me to convince myself that, okay, I'm going to do this. And this is kind of, um, this is in a way worship, right? Like it's God's work. Mm. And uh, to believe in yourself that much took a lot of personal development. I don't know how many personal development books I've read in the last couple of years um, and on leadership, but no book prepares you for, if you're a people pleaser, there's going to be a lot of people (laughs) who aren't pleased with you when you're doing something new. And that was uh, the second thing uh, that I thought that was like the hardest soft skill almost to learn is leadership. But there's so many things. If I look back, I'm like, oh, I could have handled that better. I could have communicated that better. Um, I could have had more patience. But there was no way for me to learn that except to fall on my face and get back up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd say the other thing is you just have to do things, right? A lot of times I get stuck in planning, 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 and I don't actually do anything. And so actually taking the steps to, if you wanted to start a nonprofit, look up in your province um, or territory or state, wherever you are, what do you actually need? What's the checklist for registering a nonprofit? You got your name search or um just register, incorporate your business? Do you need to find board members? So that was the first tangible step I took is, you know, reaching out to women um, that I didn't know to be like, hey, I have this crazy, I'm crazy passionate about this idea. I think we need this for women in BC, Muslim women, and getting them to sign on. And you have to be a you almost have to be a crazy passionate person because you have to believe in yourself and your your mission that deeply. Mm-hmm. And I I see this is very common with founders. Like you have to have that deep level of passion mm. uh, for what you're doing because it's it's a really long, hard, lonely road. And then once you build your idea, you go and find other people who believe in your idea because you know, you need a board or you need an executive team. And then after that, it's trial and error. You just, there's no other way, but you would just have to do something. And so we did events, some of them worked, some of them didn't. You take, you know, the event that worked, you try to replicate it. Um, The events that didn't, you see, you know, why they didn't work. And so through the years in 2017, in 2016, we were or early 2017, we were a course. Late 2017, we registered as a nonprofit. Working with other people on your board uh, to support something that was initially your dream is also a challenge. I think, you know, being a people pleaser, overcoming that consistently, and every year <laughs> I have to level up on that is, is difficult. But also um, Understanding that if you want to build something bigger than yourself, then you have to learn to trust and work with um, other human beings. And so throughout the years, I've had, you know, by the grace of God, like just met the right people at the right time. And and sometimes it works out so beautifully that I, I cannot think anything else. But, you know, this is God's work because I, I can't explain how lucky or how well it worked out or how all these green lights just happened. Um, but yeah, it just takes faith and persistence. Yeah, that's that's more important than a lot of people think. Because when they're listening, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs, when they're starting off and they're listening to this, they might think to themselves, um, yeah, okay, like, you know, I understand the whole self-development part, the whole belief in yourself, but I need to know, like, you know, tangibly, like, how do I register a website? Like, how do I go and register? You know, and, and yes, the thing, the truth is, finding the actual 
steps is very easy. It's one simple Google search. There's millions of articles, millions of blogs. You even have chat GPT. You can just go and ask it, hey, help me start a nonprofit. And it'll give you all the, t- all the steps at this point, right? So it's not for lack of information, but then what's keeping us from actually achieving our goals? And one of the things you mentioned is to do instead of always plan, which I completely agree. I think doing and really focusing on action versus just planning, planning and thinking is so important because the more we sit down and plan and try to have the perfect strategy, the more we start to fall into that analysis paralysis mode, right? Where we are essentially stuck. We don't know, is this really the right move? Is this not? And we tend to go into that overthinking pattern. But what really stood out to me from what you said and what really just struck a chord with me is when when you said that it took a long time for me to convince myself that I was the one that was meant to do this. And, and you, And even before that, you said that you need to have the support of yourself first. So how were you able to develop that? Because it's not easy to develop that trait or that belief in oneself. For you, were there any steps you've taken? Was there any kind of, you know, uh, kind of clicks or, you know, realizations that you had across the journey or along the journey that helped you nurture that belief in yourself? Is there anything you can share with us? Sure. I, I think, you know, a lot of it comes down to spirituality and faith and purpose. And so I'll share a little bit of my, my backstory um, of why I was, you know, I even knew I could do this work. And then also to, to know you have the capacity is one thing, but to feel that, that passion and that drive and that purpose is a whole, I think that's very spiritual to me. And so growing up, um, I'm the eldest of two daughters mm-hmm. and we had a very religious um, upbringing. I went to BC Muslim school. I went to private classes with um, with a, a teacher in the community. I went to Darulum in England. Um, I studied uh, Islam at UBC. Like I just, I kept learning about Islam and something I've just, I've been doing since I was a kid and I, and I love to study Islam. Um, but unfortunately, one thing that also led me to like wanting to understand Islam so badly is because when I was around 13, 14, 9-11 happened, but it also uh, coincided with, you know, having um, a very religious but abusive father and having someone who said, you know, that Islam permits me to act in this way or condones violence against women um, or disempowering women. And it was a very hypocritical um, from a child's point of view or a, a young teen. So it really confused me about Islam. And at one point when I was an early teen, I was just I was just convinced that, you know what, I'm just going to become an atheist. If this is what the religion is about, then I'm not about this. Mm-hmm. And so I had to go on my own journey. And I actually asked to go to Darulum in England because I really want to study Islam. And I think, you know, 90% of anyone who gets sent to, a, to an Islamic madrasa in a different country is usually because um, it's like some sort of a punishment from, from their family for being a bad kid or something. But I just really wanted to learn uh, what this religion was about. Um and, and everything that I found is that it was the values of Islam uh, that I learned struck a chord with my core values as a human. Um, and the example of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, it just, that was the best example of a human being to me. The honesty, uh, the 
willingness, the patience, the willingness to serve others, to serve the, the will of God. Um, and they, the equity and the fairness and the just, uh, I would say the justice and, and how Islam treats all humans, including mm-hmm. women or minorities, uh, really spoke to me. So I had to resolve a, a lot of internal conflict about you know, what was portrayed to me, what was culturally um, sold to me as this is Islamic uh, versus what really was. And I had to do all that work by myself when I was a kid. And I prayed to God. Um, There was many nights where we weren't safe in our own home and I was the eldest sibling. So I felt this huge responsibility. And out of all the family, all the adults, all the governments, all the systems, the only being I could turn to was God. And, um, you know, mashallah, today my sister and my mom uh, and myself were, mashallah, very successful and uh, very safe and, you know, built very strong. And I remember when I was, I was a child praying in a, in a dark room in darkness um, for God's protection. And, excuse me, <clears throat> I was like, I'm not going to get emotional, but it really is emotional because I still remember that moment thinking that one day when I have the means, I will give back to other women. Mm-hmm. And so that day came. And so I always felt like this is my purpose, right? Because I knew for a long time from when I was like 13, 14 um, onwards that, you know, this is a promise that I made to God that, you know, if you, if you help us get through this, then one day I will return the gift and I will be like a, a strong woman helping other women. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of safety is empowerment in being financially stable, being Islamically educated, being educated in, in the world. And it's just such a combination of what does it take to be a strong woman, a, a strong woman, right. To, to be empowered, to be safe. And so it's been a lot of learning, but when this opportunity came along, I just knew in my gut and in my being that this was the work that, that God chose for me to give back to the community. So I like, there was no, there was no doubt in my mind. And I think, you know, like I said, it's a very spiritual, personal reasoning, but that was, you know, almost 10 years later, um, what a flip to where my life was behind closed doors, mind you, like, you know, in most homes, uh, nobody knows what's going on behind closed doors, right? And uh, the only being that knew was was God. And this was my promise to God as a child or a teenager. And uh, so when this opportunity came about, I just had, sometimes, you know, when you get goosebumps, and you just like in your body and your being, you just know this is for you. This is how I just knew that this was for me. And then all the signs, you know, um, when I think in the Quran, we, we hear a lot about um, when you look for signs, God will give you signs. And the the way that it just, the nonprofit unraveled, the way that I just had the perfect degree, the worked at the perfect university that greenlight everything, just met the right people. At, you know, it was just, I just took these all as signs of, yeah, I don't know how much more obvious God can make this. Like, this is your project this is your purpose go and run with it and you know mashallah it's been seven years now and from a small idea now we've like built something that employs muslim girls and women and like 
it's it's so cool to know that we provide jobs, paid summer internships and jobs to all these young Muslim women. And uh, beyond that, like, for example, we had uh, someone volunteer with us and uh, through all of their work, uh, you know, they were one, it's a very empowering circle, right? Uh, when you're with all these women, very strong women. But you know, she she finished university, she applied for law school, I wrote her a letter of reference on behalf of the nonprofit showcasing everything she did. And Marshall, she got into law school, and she's starting law school now, like, that was the dream seven years ago, the fact that we're even here is a success. Um, and then just to think how much further we can take it, but that believing in yourself, I think only that's between you and God. Mm. And there's no one else that can do that work for you. SubhanAllah. Thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you for being, you know, so vulnerable and so open with your story. I think a lot of us have similar stories and we've been through similar journeys in our lives um, where we've been sometimes connected with God and sometimes disconnected with God and with Islam. And we've had to kind of find our own path back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, every person goes through this. And, and um, you know, I really appreciate you sharing openly kind of your personal journey and, and the things that you've been through. The best way, I think, for us to wrap up this conversation is if you could share with me for any Muslim woman that's listening to this that might be afraid of starting a business or, you know, uh, essentially following whatever calling she feels uh, is in her heart right now because she's afraid to put herself out there. She's afraid to, um, you know, be judged, afraid to put herself in a position where she's vulnerable. Is there anything that you can say to, to someone that is listening, to, is listening that might be in this position? Sure. I, I think there's two th main things that I had to learn uh, the hard way is one, no matter what you do, someone will think negatively of you. Like even my kids, sometimes they're like, mom, that's so cringe, right? My oldest is 12 now. <laughs> i like a bra and like, uh, like, oh, you're so cringe. Um, but I had to put myself out there, right? And that was really hard to understand that you can be like, you can be the best version of yourself. You can be your own hero. Like, for example, I look up to Michelle Obama or um, or Malala or, you know, uh, Malcolm X. Like, these are some of the people in history mm. um, or now that I look up to and I really mm. admire the work that they do. But you can find someone who thinks Michelle Obama is the worst or Malala is like uh, the worst or, mm. or Malcolm X or whoever, right? So you just think no matter who, who you what you do and who you are someone will always find you cringe someone will always be like oh my god what is she doing so you really have to be sure of what you want right and if you're sitting at home someone's gonna say oh like what does she do she's just self-serving you know just takes care of herself if you're out there in the community someone's gonna say oh look at her she's trying to uh you know become notable everyone wants to and wants everyone to see what she's doing you know, you start a bakery, someone, someone's going to say something. You start a nonprofit, someone's going to say something. So you really have to sit down and become your own best friend and talk to yourself uh, like you would your daughter or your best friend and say like, hey, you want to do this? You have to do that. And then create a circle around you of people who cheer for you. I think, you know, one, something that's really hard, and I'm guilty of 100%, is sometimes out of fear from a loving place when people do things that are unfamiliar to us family will be like no no don't take that risk what mm -hmm. if people laugh at you 
what if you lose all your money you know like it's coming from a good place and i remember i even told my sister this once like you know are you sure you want to do this um and i've been on the receiving of it end of it too is sometimes people out of love will not be able to cheer you on and you just have to believe in yourself and take the support you can and just remember like most of life is between you and god anyways so if you can figure out that part and you can get over the fear of failure i failed a hundred times publicly is very embarrassing <laughs> but you know you, once you get over that fear uh you'll be okay and most of the the cool people that i know who don't do anything and i have so many people in my life who you know they they have the best ideas they are the coolest people and they are so scared of what other people think so they never start mm -hmm. and um you can never look back and say hey 2020 you know that failure led to this failure led to this to let this 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 if you never try so if you're not uh willing to fail um you know you this a little harsh but if you're not willing to fail you don't deserve the success success and mm -hmm. failure go together you know it's a it's a stepping stool and then over and over again and so you have to kind of fall in love with failure and putting yourself out there and it's a self-love journey it's a journey between you and god that's what i would say Thank you so much, Aisha, for, for sharing all of this. Uh, mashallah, honestly, some gems, and I've enjoyed this conversation tremendously. How can people connect with you and support what you're doing with Voices of Muslim Women? Well, we would love any support we can get. So if you have a spare dollar or two, you can donate online to VoicesOfMuslimWomen.com. We are a registered charity, so we're able to give tax receipts to our donors, which is, you know, a great blessing, alhamdulillah, mm -hmm. and uh, to get involved. So if you go on our Instagram page um, at uh, Voices of Muslim Women Foundation, or you can um, you can follow me at Aisha Amiji. I'm always promoting what we're doing next on Instagram uh, we do have LinkedIn and uh, a number of other social media platforms, but I'd say Instagram and our website is the best way to find out what we're doing. So whether it's uh, supporting girls in sport or um, the next leadership training program for girls and women, uh, you can find out all about it, sponsor us, join us, take part in the program, volunteer. There's so many ways to get involved and really um, just reach out. There's so many ways to support this and, and build momentum together. Thank you so much for your time and, and for this conversation, Aisha. And if you're listening to this, make sure to go check out Voices of Muslim Women. We'll put the links in the description or the episode notes. And make sure to go and support, go and give them a follow, go and give them a comment and let them know that you really appreciate what they're doing. Aisha, thank you so much for joining me today. This was absolutely incredible. And hopefully we'll talk again soon, inshallah. Thank you, inshallah. Inshallah.